From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. This trust has been, if anything, certainly as bad as Johnson on the populism agenda. She wants people to work hard and she hates people being told what to do. The markets are looking very, very closely at political pronouncements. Together, we can ride out the storm. We can rebuild our economy and we can become the modern, brilliant Britain that I know we can be. You're listening to Bloomberg UK Politics, your daily guide to the corridors of power. I'm Ewan Potts. And I'm Stephen Carroll. Today, everything that politicians should know about the bond markets. We'll discuss the past week's UK meltdown in assets and ask what the government could have done differently. Plus, will the stamp duty cut prop up the housing market with mortgages getting more and more expensive? We'll speak to the CEO of property website Zoopla. And two days ahead of another gas and electricity price rise, we'll hear from an energy analyst from U-Switch. But first, after yesterday's rally driven by the Bank of England's dramatic intervention, UK stocks, sovereign bonds and the pound are all in the red again today. Um, we did hear from the Prime Minister Liz Truss in a round of BBC local radio interviews. She defended her huge fiscal stimulus package, blaming global economic pressures for the market fallout. Here's the Prime Minister speaking to BBC Radio Norfolk. This is the right plan that we've set out. Uh, this is about making sure that people are going into the winter not worried about ultra-high fuel bills, which is what we were looking at. It was simply unconscionable that we could have allowed that to happen and we could allow people to be facing uh, that fear of not being able to pay their fuel bill. And it's also important that we're taking steps to improve growth levels in our economy. Well, the Prime Minister getting quite a bit of flack on Twitter, though Twitter laying into Tories isn't exactly unusual for dodging uh, uh, national media interviews, Stephen. Yeah, well, I mean, it's worth pointing out that it's quite normal that we would see uh, a Prime Minister or rather the leader of the Conservative Party do a round of local radio interviews before um, the Conservative Party conference, which is, of course, coming up this weekend. So this is actually quite a normal media round for a party leader to do. Um, there has been some sniffing about why it was local media, not national media she was speaking to. And at a time of such national crisis, uh, you know, the, the question is perhaps it shouldn't be normal rules apply. But it, it was local journalists that had the chance to quiz the Prime Minister on their plan. And, and very robustly, it has to be said, um, on the plans for what exactly she planned to do about the economy. But Liz Truss holding first saying her economic policy was the right plan for the UK for the UK um, and saying that you know that she would be essentially the government has done the right thing and they'll continue in this direction yeah I think it's a bit of a myth that uh, she was taking the easy option she spoke to I counted them but eight of them uh, BBC Radio Tees Leeds Norfolk Kent Lancashire uh, Nottingham Stoke and Bristol I know these names well because I used to do uh, business reports for local radio stations in a, a past life at the BBC 
and it was fun, but it also could be quite nerve-wracking. You sit in a tiny booth doing interviews, uh, loads and loads of interviews, one after the other, and you never quite know if a curveball is going to come your way. Uh, and here's the thing, though, for anyone suggesting that Trust was taking an easy option, these would have been the biggest interviews for, for these people doing the interviews of the year and you can imagine everybody in the office would have been brainstorming the knockout questions let's get the best questions to give to the prime minister so these would have been uh, eight challenging interviews uh, in a row and if i was uh, liz Truss's media advisor i probably would have said if you want an easy option uh, stick to a couple of national interviews and uh, as it was she ended up doing eight different interviews with the potential for things to go wrong eight different times. So I think a pretty tricky morning for the Prime Minister. Well, certainly there were lots of questions, but not many answers from the Prime Minister. She was, as I was saying, sticking uh, very much to her plans. Uh, One thing we do want to focus on, though, today is the importance of the bond market, something we talk about a lot here on Bloomberg. But now, all of a sudden, this week, an awful lot more people, particularly in politics, needed to ensure that they understood what was going on with gilts as well, given the market reaction we saw to Friday's uh, mini-budget. Swift and brutal, I think, is a fair way of describing it. Um, Let's talk through what happened and why it happened. We've got Bloomberg's Valerie Titel with us in studio. Valerie is our markets expert. She's a former bond trader. She is the person who asks, or answers rather, all of the questions from people like me in the newsroom who don't understand what's happening. Um, and we're very lucky to have her with us in studio this morning. Valerie, let's let's kind of get go very basic here to start with. And how much bond markets follow what's happening in political announcements. And does that explain sort of what happened on Friday? Look, the gilt market definitely watches out for uh, things like how much funding the government's going to need in the next year, year and a half. Um, and and actually, to explain this better, I want to take a step back and actually look at August. So August was really the month where we we got a hint that it was not only the UK but Europe that was going to respond to this energy crisis via fiscal easing measures. Correct, right? They were going to bail out industry. They were going to bail out the consumer, which in in essence is f- fiscal expansionary policies. Correct? Correct. It's going to um, it's going to help in- internal demand, as we call it, high, right? Because mm. instead of now paying your high energy bills, you're now going to go out and spend more money on restaurants or, or maybe on your shopping, etc. Knock on good effects on the yeah. rest of the economy. Yeah. So so as the market started to grapple with what this meant, um, there was a real a storm brewing, right? And it was not only in the UK but also in Europe, where we had this dynamic where we saw bond yields steadily rising, alongside um, FX weakening. Now now normally normally. Uh, in an advanced economy, when you see something like bond yields rising, that that tells uh, like an international investor, there's more yield in the UK. Maybe I should buy those bonds. By doing that, they also buy the currency. So normally, uh, when you have yields going up, the currency is also supported. But in August, we saw these grumblings that that was not the case. Uh, it, not just the UK, the Europe Europe was was having these grumblings as well. And what really ignited the fire was on Friday uh, the 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 mini budget as we've been calling it that was announced was um not announced alongside any official OBR forecasts. Now, these are pivotal for the gilt market because the Debt Management Office of the UK, the UK DMO, uses these forecasts in order to um give their forecast to the gilt market of of how many times they're going to they're going to issue bonds mm. how many syndications how many auctions what is the what is the need for funding that the UK government is going to need in the next 6 months now these are pivotal right but we also had a revision out from the DMO that that uh, 
basically said uh, there's going to need to be a, a huge amount of issuance that's going to have to be absorbed by the market. Right. And 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 look, we are no longer at a time of uh, what what we say uh, what we call quantitative easing of low rates for longer. Right. We've we've clearly exited that, led by the Federal Reserve and their fight against inflation. But but there is there's no longer that much appetite to absorb this much in- is- issuance. Mm. So the market was highly focused on those on those numbers that the DMO released. Would it be fair to say that this is all about the the timing, isn't it? Yes. This, this package of measures would have been fine a few years ago. Yes. Tax cuts, uh, reforms to the supply side might even have been welcomed by the market. Yeah, no, I know. At the I, moment. <laughs> they're definitely going to get a bad rap at this. It was just, it's at the wrong time, right? Like a good time to be doing this these things is when you already have low inflation, when you're already sitting on a low debt pile in order to, to, to fund this. And it, it's come at just the horrifically wrong time and and you know to, to anyone sitting in the market or to anyone sitting at home you know you wonder why they chose this time and why why were they not aware of of these dynamic dynamics that have that clearly have been shifting for the last year correct right it all started with with yeah. again the feds fight against inflation but hey you know the uk and europe their fight against inflation wasn't far behind and 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 to to release these policies where you're essentially giving money to the economy at yeah. a time when the central bank is saying, I need to ramp this money back mm. in unless inflation is going to run away. And, and, and that's their one target. That's the Bank of England's one target is to, is to, is to maintain price stability. Yeah. That complicates what the, what the central bank's kind of trying to do. They're now going to be fighting uh, versus the government uh, over which way, to take, uh, which way to take policy. But look, it's clear like inflation is a problem and it needs to come down. Yeah. And let's hope let's hope the Bank of England stays independent. One thing I noted that Trust said today when she was actually asked more on um, homeowners and soaring Mm. uh, in costs. Uh, As we know, the Bank of England base rate has a lot to do with with mortgage rates. Right. But but look, I mean, the markets are going to take kindly to what she said. She said central bank is responsible for interest rate decisions, not me. Right. And. As an international investor, that might that might give you uh, a little bit of calm, and I, I honestly think that's probably why why sterling hasn't uh, hasn't declined today. Um, yeah. Uh, and things like the long end of the bond market are calming down. You used a word yesterday when describing what had been happening on the bond markets: humongous bond <laughs> bond yield moves. How in 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 context, how big was what happened both before the Bank of England's intervention and after? Massive, massive, unprecedented. If if you look at at wh- how it had moved on the week, it was off the charts in terms of what Bloomberg has had historically there there's no other comparison not not during the debt crisis uh, uh, not during 2008, uh, not during 1992 when Soros broke the Bank of England. We had never seen markets gyrating this much. And, and, and that's why the Bank of England eventually had to step in um, like they did, uh, because th- this, this volatility that was brewing essentially causes something which is what we call a VAR shock. Um, uh, you have portfolios that hold these safe assets, that being gilts. And when you see this kind of volatility happen, all of a sudden you have to revisit your portfolio thinking, mm. hey, those gilts aren't as safe as I thought. They're they're way more volatile and you have to start de-risking. So the Bank of England stepped in and said, hey, I'm going to be the buyer of last resort. Any de-risking you need to do of your portfolio, I'm here for you. And that's why markets have calmed down. So has the Bank of England really saved the government on this? And, and how long can that can that go on for? I see the Bank of England says it's going to resume its its QT program 
in a month's time. Is that is that going to happen? Yes. Yeah, so they they delayed it by I think it was only one week. Uh, but their um, bond buying operations are going to last the next fourteen days until I think October fourteenth. Uh, they pledged um, to buy up to $5 billion, uh, again, to be the backstop, the buyer of last resort for, for those who need to shed these guilts. Um, but, but you have to look at it. Okay, I'm, I'm talking from a market's perspective, yeah. right? I, like, like, let's take it off the UK consumer and just look at what's happened in financial markets. From the market's perspective, if the, if the Bank of England does not aggressively tighten monetary policy after this, we're in for a storm of inflation, Okay. Right. They, they, they have to turn. Y- yes, they, they 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 stepped in to offer some liquidity to the market. But but we are going to be all all eyes on it to make sure that they stay independent, that they go on hiking rates and they rein in this inflation, because that that is the main problem. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. The countdown has begun from May 14th to 16th a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Now, even before the latest turmoil on financial markets, rising interest rates have been putting pressure on the property market in the UK. The fallout from last Friday's mini budget means that rates are likely to jump even more, with markets pricing in 150 basis points. That's one and a half percent of rate rises at the Bank of England's next meeting. Now, we heard earlier this week how some lenders have been withdrawing mortgage offers while existing borrowers are scrambling to fix their rates now. Sellers have been dropping prices too, as Charlie Bryant, CEO of the property website Zoopla, told us a little earlier. We have seen um, about 6% of listings with over a 5% reduction um, in prices over the last month. And so some of that frothiness in the market that you saw during the pandemic is certainly beginning to subside. You know, you must remember that um, during the pandemic, we saw prices increase at over five times their normal rate. Some areas like Wales saw a 27% price increase over the pandemic. So I think it's not surprising quite aside um, from what is happening in the mortgage market that you would expect some some of that frothiness, as I say, to come off the market. You know, that said, in terms of house prices and the impact of the turmoil in the mortgage market, I would say a couple of things. First of, all, first of all, it's inevitably a function of supply and demand um, in terms of the impact on house prices. And actually, demand still remains above the five-year average. It's still running at 8% above the five-year average. That's down from about 23% above the five-year average um, this time last year. Um, and supply, the stock of homes for sale, is still significantly below the five-year average. Um, Again, not as bad as the position a year ago, but we still have 21% less homes for sale today um, than compared to the five-year average, down from 31% less Char- homes for sale a year Charlie, ago. Charlie, when, 
when does that data run until though? Because of course, raising rates is really impacting people now. We're seeing all this news about mortgage offers being withdrawn from lenders. It is harder to buy a home now than it has been for many years. There's no question that the markets have been spooked short term. And of course, mortgage lenders are very dependent on their sources of supply of finance. And that is now tighter than it has been for many years. So I don't doubt that there will be a continued period of short term instability whilst mortgage lenders understand what their real cost of borrowing is. And that will undoubtedly then filter through into the mortgage rates that we all as consumers pay. What I would say is a couple of things. Number one, even if you see mortgage rates going to five to six percent, there are many areas of the country where it is still cheaper to buy than rent. Um, if you look at the north of England, where rental yields tend to be in the region of seven percent plus or minus, um, even at a five percent mortgage rate or six percent mortgage rate, it's still cheaper to buy than rent. That's the first thing. The second thing is, until very recently, all mortgage lenders were required to stress test borrowers at a five to six percent rate and so the affordability of mortgage finance has certainly been tested against the ability to pay those higher rates even if people have actually been borrowing at one to two percent over recent years yeah okay well we're going to definitely see whether the stress tests uh, are solid or not i mean when we were speaking to ray bulger he was saying by um by this week at some point it was going to be incredibly difficult to find a fixed rate mortgage below five percent that is quite some jump in the space of 12 months a year ago there were offers of below one percent for fixed rate mortgages to so go to five percent i mean do we go from a frothy housing market to a crash because you're sounding still quite positive I don't think we see that immediate switch from a housing from a, from a housing boom to a crash. There's no question in my mind that at four to five percent, the, uh, the the momentum will come out of the market. We will see, see things stay flat. The underlying demand will still be there. As I said, in terms of in terms of in the north of England, it's still being cheaper to buy than rent. In terms of in the south of England, particularly first time buyers who make up a third of the market being significantly helped by the stamp duty tax breaks that have come in. But if you see mortgage rates sustainably above five to six percent, then then I would agree. You, you're going to see price falls uh, probably in the sort of five percent type zip code um, as both that supply and demand and that affordability equation bite. That was the CEO of property website Zoopla, Charlie Bryant, speaking to Carlin Hepker and I earlier. Well, while mortgage holders are clearly worrying about rising interest rates, all households are going to be facing a squeeze from this Saturday when gas and electricity prices rise. Now, the government's package to limit price rises means that the increase isn't as much as it could have been, but the average household bill will still be going up as the temperatures drop. We've been discussing this with Ben Galizzi, energy expert from Uswitch. It's a very difficult situation this winter. Um, obviously, the, the news cycle has has developed, um, but for, for households, certainly the, the biggest cost uh, this winter is going to be for their energy. We at Uswitch have um, just conducted a, a survey of 2,000 people across the country, and the headline figure from, from that is one in five households, uh, which equates to five million homes, are only going to be able to cope with rising bills this winter by cutting their energy use. Um, and that's because they're going to be paying £237 more for their energy over the three coldest months this winter than they did last year. While the government has uh, frozen the energy price cap at £2,500 for two years, obviously, it is still more than it was last year. 
and that means people are going to struggle and uh, people are going to have to start um, looking at what they can do to change their energy use um, and keep their bills at a manageable level wherever possible. Ben, the uh, energy regulator Ofgem has told firms to help consumers struggling with their bills more effectively, calling out Scottish Power and Utilita in particular for having severe weaknesses in the way they deal with customers who are experiencing payment difficulties. There are going to be so many more people struggling to pay over the coming months. The industry needs to do more here. Yeah, it's it's possible that some suppliers have been slightly caught out by the severity of the crisis this winter, but it's obviously still deeply concerning that they're still not adequately prepared to to help these customers who are struggling to pay their bills. Um, even with the government's help, as as we've said, people are still going to face these high energy bills that they're going to find difficult to pay. So there's no excuse for suppliers not to support their customers. Um, the advice that I would I would give customers who are struggling to pay is to get in touch with your supplier, um, try and work out a payment plan. Um, there's no use in suffering in silence. You know, um, everyone's everyone's in this together. Um, so, if suppliers can't help, there are charities like Step Change and the National Energy, National Energy Action uh, who can help as well. Ben, you switch and its use effectively was during the heyday of booming energy supplies when there were 30, 40 names and you could switch uh, you know, your, your gas and electricity deal and get the best possible. I mean, now the question is about how secure the remaining energy supplies in the UK are you know, um, and who's going to be left standing after this. Do you expect over the winter many more firms to face significant difficulties? We haven't heard any more um, on any any suppliers who might be struggling. The situation does seem to have um, stabilised. Um, so we would expect there to to not be that sort of that sort of turbulence in the market, which is obviously a good thing for for customers. What we would say um, is over this winter for customers to um, just make sure that they're checking, tracking and changing their energy usage and checking meter readings and submitting them before the 1st of October, tracking energy usage to see what what they're using and where. Um, the U-Switch app, um, which is called U-Track, can help with that. Um, and once you've worked out where you're using your energy, you can start changing your habits. And I think I think that's the main thing to remember this, this winter, really, um, as far as customers are concerned, rather than being worried about whether a supplier is going to going to go out of business, it's it's more about checking, tracking, and changing your energy usage and keeping those bills at a manageable level. The idea of nationalisation it came up again. Labour's Keir Starmer pledging to launch a nationalised energy company, a supposedly great British energy company, within a year if the Labour Party were to get into office. I mean, others have called for nationalisation of of UK uh, parts of the UK energy industry. Is that credible? I mean, certainly um, in Europe, there is more state ownership. But here in the UK, it's largely privately owned. Foreign firms uh, are are big players in the energy market. What do you make of the nationalisation debate now? Well, Labour's proposal specifically is is an interesting one. It was obviously the the headline from the from Keir Starmer's speech. and it is and it is true that we in the UK are too reliant on gas. We do need to increase our renewable energy generation and and Labour's proposal would be one way of achieving that. Um, obviously, there are lots of caveats with that, not not least the fact that they have to win a general election first. Um, but it's 
it's not something that's going to change how much we pay for energy in the immediate future. So it's, it's again, more, more important that we consider what's happening in the here and now. And that is the fact that prices are set to rise on the 1st of October and households need to start taking action now. Bloomberg UK Politics. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.